Escape the ordinary with green and blacks. Wildly, deliciously organic. Sponsor of The Moments That Made Me, the weekend podcast. A rich, intense chocolate to savour. Hello, my name is Irene Feehan, and today I'm chatting with Anne and Linda Nolan, who for more than 40 years have performed as members of the hugely successful Irish girl group, The Nolans. Their smash hit, I'm in the Mood for Dancing, cemented their place in pop history, and the sisters went on to build long, successful careers in the music industry, selling over 30 million records. Cancer has long been an unwelcome visitor in their lives. In 2013, younger sister Bernie, once the lead singer of the group, died from breast cancer aged 52. Six years earlier, Linda lost her husband, Brian Hudson, also to cancer. And last year, Anne and Linda decided to go public when they were both diagnosed with cancer again. They bravely posed for pictures and appeared on TV with shaved heads. Their hair has since grown back and they have found time to co-write a memoir titled Stronger Together. It's their story of dealing with cancer and how the shared experience deepened their bond. So a little over a year ago, you were on the high seas with sisters Maureen and Colleen on a five-star cruise. Now, in video clips from the reality TV show that you were recording at the time, the Nolans Go Cruising, you all looked so happy and healthy. And then soon after returning home, you both were told that your cancer had returned. So what was that like at that moment to be told after such a high experience on the high seas? So perhaps, Anne, would you say what was that like to get that news first um, well, my cancer was, um, it wasn't, hadn't returned. It was a new cancer. So um, it was um, very traumatic. And when I found the lump, I thought, oh, it's probably just, it'll probably go away, you know. But then I thought, well, even if it doesn't go, it goes away, it goes away. But I still need to go and get it checked. So I went straight away, more or less, the day after I'd found it. And um, I kind of knew, you know, what, what yeah. And the doctor examined me, her reaction, because I'd been through it before, 20 years before. I kind of knew that it, this one, because I've had lumps all through my life removed from my breasts. But they've always just said, yeah, it's just a cyst. We'll just aspirate it. And I knew this time because she sent me to the clinic and I went and had a mammogram. And I knew by their reaction and all the things they did that it was cancer. So when they actually told me, I was expecting it. I kind of knew, you know, so it was still really, really traumatic and very, very upsetting, you know, but um, the good thing about it was it was it was um, a new cancer. It wasn't a secondary cancer. So that was a bit of good news. And that's made your prognosis a little better then, hasn't it? So, yeah. So they said it was curable and I'd have to have really extreme chemotherapy and then an operation and then radiotherapy, which I've had all of them. Um, but the prognosis was really good. And after my operation, when I had a, a scan, they said they couldn't find any trace of cancer there at all. So, yeah, it was amazing. Fantastic. Linda, you, yours was different because this was the third time you were told you had cancer. Yeah, first in 2006, then again in 2017 is when it became secondary breast cancer. And it had metastasized, which means the cells had gone to my hip, which I fell up the stairs um, and I heard a crack and I just thought, oh, I've done something, you know, just hurt myself kind of thing. And then Anne was with me at the hospital, actually. And um, they said, yeah, well, we think you fractured your hip. So that's an operation, you know. 
And I went, oh, right. And then they came back in and said, we're just going to take another look at uh, the long bone in your leg. We'll take pictures of that. And then she said, you know, with your history and everything. And she went out and I said to Anne, I didn't expect that to be happening, you know, your history. And um, and I said, oh, they're just checking it because of our history. They're just, you know, double checking it. And then three days later, they told me that I, I uh, that we've seen something there, a mass. It could be a cyst. I said, could it be cancer? And they went, yes. And uh, and then they said it was cancer eventually. And um, but you were fab, though. You didn't break down or anything, and did you? Uh, well, not really. I phoned Annie because our sister-in-law works in the hospital. So I phoned her in- initially and she came over from where she was and I had a little cry with her. But it's weird. Yeah, it's um, it's just scary, you know, because they told Bernie her cancer was treatable but not curable. And she only lasted for a year, didn't she? A year at the most. But some women live 15, 20 years, you know, mm. so hopefully I'm going to be one of those women. The day Anne found out that her cancer, it was cancer. I found out that I needed to have an MRI because they'd seen something on my uh, on my liver. And um, and then Maureen phoned to say, yes, Anne's is confirmed. And then about an hour later, I got the information that mine was, you know, and um, and I didn't tell them for two or three days because everyone was so devastated with Anne. You know, I thought, God, we can't put them through it again. You know, but of course they found you. Know, you have to tell them eventually. It had to come out. And you both ended up being treated at the same time in the same hospital with chemotherapy. It must have made a huge difference that you were there to support each other. Yeah, I mean, Linda kind of more or less arranged all that. She phoned up and said, look, we're sisters. We're both having chemotherapy at the same time. We're going through a pandemic. You know, we can't have anybody with us at all. Nobody. Um, And normally when you're having chemotherapy, you know, they all had chairs next to where the patients sit so that their relative could sit there. But because of the pandemic, everybody's social distanced. And um, she said, could, is it possible that we could have our chemotherapy together? And they agreed, didn't they? And, yeah. And it was, yeah. First of all, they went, oh. How yeah. unusual. Oh, yeah. Well, I, I always say, you know, you've heard of the Chemical Brothers with the chemo sisters. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, so he was, he was okay and they arranged it. And it was, you know, Maureen uh, moved in with Anne immediately to live because of pandemic. So they were in a bubble and I moved in with my sister, Denise, and her partner, Tom. But they both dropped us off at the hospital at different times. And they said they both cried because it was like leaving your four-year-old at the school gate. You know, they couldn't be with you. And they walked in and we had our little bag with our drink and our sandwiches in, you know. <laughs> and um, it was, for me, it was nice getting when I'd get there. Anne would be in from nine in the morning to like six in the evening because she was having the proper full, all different treatments. And um, and I was having palliative chemo. So I was only having one treatment, which was a Braxane, which we both had. But um, I'd get there in the afternoon and I'd say, you know, Denise has sent you a phone and Maureen sent you an apple, <laughs> you know, and a book to read. Such and, a huge yeah, family so bond. Good. I'm really struck by that. And in another interview I, I, I read where you, you talked about the, the Nolan Wall, about that. It's so yeah. solid, that bond between you. And I'm I'm wondering then if that seems to have has sustained you hugely down through the decades. And even though there have been difficulties along the yeah, way. Yeah, my husband used to call us the cavalry because he said whenever anything happens, good or bad, he says you all come from different corners of the car park, as it were, and you form this wall around you and, you know, you get through it with humour because we have a very, um, not sick humour, but very... Um, it's weird, our humour, isn't it? Sometimes, yeah. you know. Other people might not understand. It. I think it's inappropriate. Yeah, yeah. I remember. Yeah, and um, and we were there for each other. But of course, with COVID, when we found out about Anne, all we could do was stand at the garden gate and say hi. You know, it was it was really 
Now, and you really suffered with that, didn't you? Because and you're of such your a tactile family as well. You often talk about reaching out to hug each other and that kind of physical support. So how difficult not to be there to give it to each other. Yeah, yeah really. For sure. Yeah. yeah, I think that's what made it so good that we, it sounds terrible that, though, that we were both <laughs> going through it at the same time because we were able to support each other, you know, because we didn't have the rest of them really at that, apart from Denise and Lynn and Maury. Uh, and the title of your book is Stronger Together. Yeah. Yeah. So that really tallies, doesn't it, that you were able to support each other through a very difficult time. And it's lovely to see you sitting side by side here now, still supporting each other, which is really, really lovely (laughs) to see. Um, Thank you. I'm aware that every family has a dynamic and each sibling often plays a particular role. And I was wondering what ones did you play as children and have these changed? And I've just got I'm aware when I was reading about you in the book and you described yourself as the quiet one. And Linda, you said, I'm the gin girl. So I was just uh, <laughs> the gin girl. The gin girl. You said I was the gin I girl, that. and there was a fun you time. Did. It probably did. So well, I, you know, I do love a gin. I've got my own gin out actually. Your own gin. Yeah. Oh, and yeah. the name of the gin is Hudson's. It's um, it's my married surname. It's uh, Hudson Spirits, and it's passion fruit and watermelon. It's a pink gin, and it sold out. The quickest selling celebrity alcoholic beverage. Congratulations! Online. Sell out in fifteen hours. Yeah, uh, congratulations. So it's um. Just a little sideline, really, you know, because show business has been decimated, really, you know, with COVID. And it was my agent said, do you fancy doing this? And you think, yeah, all right. And then I'm sent samples and, you know, so funny trying the samples, five different flavours. Me and my friend did it. And at the end I was going to, oh, God, I feel sick. I don't like any of them at the moment. <laughs> Not now. But, um, yeah, as a kid, I was the... Um, the but the boisterous one, I was a bit of a tomboy and I was the... Um, I'd get overexcited, you know, they'd catch us jumping off a wall. And after about 12 times, this actually happened at Uncle Fred's house. And after about 12 times, they went, we're not catching you this time. And they'd catch me because I'd jump again. But eventually they didn't catch me and I lost my two front teeth mm-hmm. on the floor. Yeah. But, you know, it serves you right. Should have listened. <laughs> you know, so I was very, I used to get very excited as a kid. She you know. always wanted to organise things and she's still like that now. Yeah. She lo- loves organising things, you know. Yeah, I'd love to be. Making sure everybody's got like, what they should have and where they It's like if I'm at a be. wedding and one of the bridesmaids is holding her flowers wrong and I don't really know them that well, I literally go up and go, you're holding flowers different yeah. to everyone else. Or if the bride has got a beautiful train on her dress and nobody's fixing it, I go up and go, excuse me. Yeah. <laughs> like that. That's you your know? showbiz yeah. background, and then, perhaps. When they see it, they go, I'm so glad you did that. It looked yeah. better, you know. She likes, yeah, she likes fixing things. And Anne, what about your role then? Was it the quiet one or was it more than being the quiet one? I kind of, um, I don't really know to be honest with you. I was the eldest, so I think my mum and dad kind of relied on me quite a lot when they were on the Because little. they were both working, weren't they? Yeah, so I kind of got fell into that kind of role, you know what I mean? The big sister kind of role. Um, but uh, She used to do my ponytail. She was literally, yeah. and it's too tight now. Everything had to be symmetrical, you know, a bit of OCD even when I was a kid. Um, But I was, um, my eldest brother and I were were very close as well. You know, he was the, I was the only good girl that was allowed into his gang sort of thing. Um, Because she was, you were a tomboy, weren't you? Oh my God. And if there was any bullying at school or whatever, like Denise was bullied at school for a little while. She stalked up, I'm going to get my big sister onto you, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Well done. And then it seemed to me that back when you went back on that great cruise, um, that there was an opportunity for you. You said that you actually went back and you reverted to type. You, had, you hadn't been with each other that much, but suddenly you were back in oh, your you usual kind of roles. Into the, those kind of, you know, Colin was the baby again. And, um, 
she doesn't she doesn't talk a lot, does she? I think as a kid, you know, in our house, if you didn't shout, you didn't get heard really. So I was me and Bernie when we were doing it before. Bernie and I were the gobby ones again, you know. And Anne was like, yeah, know, big sister again, and boring, quiet. Yeah. You know, you just I think you just do that naturally, but um. And each has an important role. Yeah, such a wonderful opportunity for you. Oh, fabulous. For sure. I was wondering then, in terms of you have lived since like you were children, a very public life. And and also I'm impressed by how willing you are to speak about the difficult parts of your lives as well. You've talked about marriage breakdowns. You talked about your health issues, serious family issues as well. And I'm wondering, how has this helped you or has it and maybe perhaps also hindered you? That ability just to talk about things as they are, unvarnished. I think definitely helps, you know, because you're not frightened of talking about things. A lot of people, it's not that they're not frightened about talking about them. It's just that they, they don't feel they can or they or they should. They don't know what the repercussions you know, will be. They don't know what the repercussions are. And we've got to, to the point where we think, well, you know, we've had people saying things about us online and stuff. And we're not worried about that anymore. So we just talk about things, you know, and we talk about it. To each other and it's easier then to talk about it publicly as well and I think whenever we've done books you know we've had individual books ourselves and then this book together we always wanted it to be the good and the bad because nobody's life is a bed of roses you know no. and so I think you know we've only ever I think it's a way of giving back to the public really I mean that might sound you know people may think oh she thinks she is um but what I mean by that is that, um, you know, it's the only way maybe that we can help other people who've been brilliant with us. I've just helped a fan go through cancer. I've been with her whole journey. And um, and I, I kind of liked the fact that she'd asked me and asked what it was what it was like. And, you know, she texted me to say, does radiotherapy, do you lose your hair? And so I could tell her, you know, no, you don't. And our book, although we talk about things and, and medicines, and there's nothing medical that we can offer really we can only go from our our um experiences with uh, cancer and our lives in fact and so I think you know whenever we've done a book it has to be the warts and all as Colleen says you know otherwise it's you know anyone can write a fairy story can't they and I'm wondering is that part of your appeal as well your enduring appeal is that people get to see all of you as opposed to just the showbiz side that you have a big life story as well what would you say about that Anne I think, yeah, I think, I think people like to see how you actually live. You know, they see your public persona and they see, you know, on TV and all that. But I think they like to see the real person behind the persona, if you know what I mean. Um, I think that, I think, because I do, I love to see yeah. people, you know, I see them on TV or in films and then you read about their real lives. Yeah. And it's really, really interesting, I think. And it was like us on the cruise. We didn't, you know, we were not determined, but none of us got up at seven in the morning and, did full makeup because we knew we were being filmed because that isn't you know there were filmings you know to follow our lives kind of thing and we don't do that you know god bless the kardashians but we were seen on tv without makeup more than with it on weren't yeah. we and that's very liberating so in a way you've you've never been alone even at your darkest moments it sounds like you've never really been alone either through because of all your family support or because you've all this public support as well mm. our fans have been brilliant with us we have fans who now have their grandchildren you know and they play in the mood for dancing to their grandchildren you know and we've been really really lucky with our fans you know we used to call them the regulars and they'd follow us around and you know always be on the front row and now they're all parents and grandmothers themselves you know and it's um we're, we're really grateful for that as well 
Yeah, I think um, when you say, you know, you're never really alone, the thing with cancer is that although you have all these people around you, there are moments when you do feel like you're alone, that the only yeah. person in the world, you know, because, you know, it's when you hard. go to bed at night and you're thinking about things and you just feel, oh, this big black cloud now and again comes over and you think, oh, God, I've got cancer, you know, and it's learning to live with that and dealing with it really that is hard. Yeah, we both well. reached out for I mean, I've been having counselling for a long time with the same counsellor, which has been amazing. And this time, because Anne so suffered really badly with anxiety, which you've never had before. No. Um, Anne reached out uh, and, yeah. and had some counselling. So, you know, again, to say to people, there's help out there, you know. Anne is right. It's, it's at night. And sometimes I've been out and you put on this brave face and everything and then you shut the door and you slide down the wall and think, I can't do this anymore, you know. Mm. And, um, and like... You know, again, I would sit up in bed and I feel rubbish. And if Brian had been here, he'd be rubbing my back saying, it's OK, what do you want? What can I do? And then, of course, I start missing him all over again. And it brings back that that kind of loneliness. So that's a very human response to the huge stress you're yeah. both you've both been under. Yeah. And I think that's a really important point about the mental health side of things as well. So, again, and maybe it's somehow to do maybe it's a more Irish thing and you're both Irish but that idea that you put on your brave face and you just keep going whereas I think perhaps in England there's a greater acceptance that people have mental health issues at times and also get help for it and uh, I think that again that's leading the way by saying look if you need the help go get it and this is our experience. Well I said to Anne because she was a little bit hesitant at first weren't you and I said to Anne the thing and I said to everyone to be fair, the thing about counselling is if you go the first time and it's not for you and it won't be for everybody, but if you try it and, and it works, then it can only be a good thing. But if you try it and it's not for you, you don't have to go back. You don't sign a contract to have six sessions or, you know, you just say it's not for me. I, I'll find some some way else, you know, yeah. it my, saved my life. My eldest daughter was a great help to me in that as well. Yeah. Because she's done courses on mental health, so she knows quite a bit about it, you know, so she's able to advise me about things and, you know, tell me, like Linda said, for some people, it's not, it doesn't work for them. You know, she just said to me, just have it, mum. And if you don't like it, you can always say, no, I don't want it anymore. It's not, it's not my thing, you know. Um, and in the beginning, when I started having it, because I have this terrible anxiety. Yeah. And um, she was I, in the hospital for 11 days, weren't you? Yeah. With um, the anxiety? And no, no, I went into hospital because my temperature went miles out over what it should be. And they kept me in because they couldn't get it down. I was, you know, every day I was having blood tests and all these and they just couldn't get my temperature down. Um, but I, I started having anxiety attacks whilst I was in there because I couldn't see my family. I couldn't see, I, I was even in a, an isolation room. So I didn't see the doctors and nurses. The door was closed. Nobody was allowed to enter my room unless they were gowned up and everything. And I just started having really, really bad anxiety attacks. Um, and, um, I, you know, I speak to my daughter, I'm crying on the phone to my daughters, which was terrible. Now, when I look back, you know, oh, them, they but then um, my eldest daughter said, you need to speak to somebody about it. You know, I said, I don't need to speak to anybody. I know what's happening. I know what's wrong with me. And she said, well, just speak to somebody. And if it doesn't work for you, you can say, no, I don't want it anymore. So that's what I did. And it was it was a great help, actually, as I don't have the anxiety anymore now. because I've talked it through. Still seeing the counsellor, you know, but... Um, and did you get great. coping skills as well? Like, did you learn coping skills through the work with the counsellor then? Absolutely, yeah. Breathing skills and... All you kinds know. of different exercises yeah. to do mentally and physically. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was brilliant. And I think for me, a counsellor is great because 
you know, for example, I started seeing the counsellor after Brian had uh, died. I was diagnosed with complex grief. And um, and at one point, because I was suicidal, I was with the local mental health crisis team. And for me, the counsellor was because I knew that they were grieving as well. And apart from grieving, they, they were so upset for me, you know, and I thought there were certain things I couldn't tell them because it would have made them feel worse. But with a counsellor, I'm not worried about upsetting her. Do you know what I mean? I can say whatever I want. It's not going to go any further unless you're ill, you know, then they have to, they have a right to, um, well, an obligation to let your your doctors know, whatever. And um, and I took Lauren and Colleen with me when I went to see the psychiatrist the, thir- the second or third time because I just, I knew it was hard for them to understand. Colleen is a bit, and, you know, it's each to their own. Colleen is a bit kicking you in the bum and pushing you out the door and going, oh, you can do it. Whereas with Maureen, when I went, I just can't do it. She'd go, don't do it then. And sometimes you just want someone to go, it's okay not to do it. You know, when I didn't go back to Blood Brothers after Brian had died, I tried and I was ill and it was just so difficult. It sounds like it was the kindest thing you could do at the time for yourself. Yeah, yeah, the pressure, you know, I booked five holidays in one year and paid for them all. And two of them were going away with the girls and uh, the, the others were with really good friends. And I didn't go on any of them. And the relief going, I'm not going to go. And they'd go, but you've paid for it and everything. But at the time, I just felt safer being at home where my counsellor was, where my help was in case anything did go wrong. Yeah, so it, it, it's really helped me. Green and Blacks. Wildly, deliciously organic. A selection of ethically sourced flavours combined with a rich cocoa intensity. I'm interested listening to you talking how, in the sense that where you're known to be entertainers, that's your foundations, but, but now it seems to be more you're doing advocacy work. You're talking about yeah. how, how it's so important to talk about mental health, talk about cancer and to, and so and just creating a space for other people to talk about it. Would you see that as a, a change in direction or a change in role for you? I think it would have happened by accident. If, if, if anything, we didn't, you know, purposely think, let's go and do this. You know, again, it's because we're honest, you know, we just we just say it how it is with us, really. Yeah, I think it's just come about because we've been through all these traumatic things in our lives and talking about them um, lets people know that you can talk about it. And you might say something where somebody might go, oh, my God, that happened to me, you know. Yeah. It's just stuff like that. You know, it's nothing, nothing contrived, really. And at it's all. the gift of sharing it's, then, isn't it? There's a huge gift yeah. when you share well, you what's know, going people, on. We get letters and people say, you're, you're so inspirational and you've done this for me and all. And you think, am I? God, that's an amazing thing for somebody to say to you, you know. Mm. And uh, like this girl that I'm doing, she said, I couldn't have got through without my her wife, my my nurses and you. She said, I couldn't have got through it without you. And um, you've been an inspiration to me. You think, oh, my God, that's such a, a wonderful thing to say. Yeah, you know? I mean, I think, you know, the royal family, like um, Harry speaking about his mental health problems has helped people enormously, you know, and, and just by talking about Because there's still a stigma. Mm, yeah. There is, it is. But Thankfully, it's not as bad, but there is still a stigma. I remember when I was diagnosed, then uh, when I was with Brian with um, depression, and he said, don't tell the office. And I said, no, what do you mean? He went, don't tell the office, you've got depression, they might stop booking. You know what I mean? It was like, no, no, it's an illness actor. I get tablets for it, and it makes it okay, mm. you know. And if you don't talk about it and you hide it, it becomes like it's something dirty or something bad that, you know, can only happen to bad people whatever you know so talking about it just makes it more 
livable with, if you know what I mean, if that's even the right sense. I understand. <laughs> I totally understand. Also, I've no, you've got quite a gallows sense of humour as well. I'm thinking <laughs> Linda. Gallows sense of humour. Gallows like sense that. of humour. Yeah. Um, the gallows hanging, you know, bad. Oh, bad. Wicked sense of humour, yeah. yeah. I remember on the, the, uh, the Nolans at Home, and Anne had had her results and they were great and we were thrilled and we were saying, talking to each other before we heard her good news. And we said, well, we're at the top of the tower, so if it's good news, we'll have champagne. And if it's bad news, we can throw ourselves off. <laughs> and, <laughs> and with me, Col- you know, Colleen had come over and they were all sitting in this wine bar in Blackpool, having a chat, waiting for Warren and I to come in with my news. And I come in and they said, well, and I went, well, it's not, it's not great news, actually. It spread to my liver and they were all upset, obviously. But then Colleen went, well, is that it? If I come over to Blackpool just for that news, she said, <laughs> I wouldn't have made. You could have told me on the phone. You know, again, it's like black humor. Yeah, it gets you through. To, yeah, make the, the elephant in the room not so you know enormous. Yeah. There was that great line when you were first diagnosed, and when you, you had a very good relationship with the nurse, and she she was describing the size of the tumour and she said it's like a sh- small courgette. Well, courgette. Can you remember what you yeah. said in response to her then? Yeah, we won't be having ratatouille in this house anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I'd left mine for a year, you know, and it was um, it was like nine by five, you know, and it was massive. And that's how she described it, yeah. I could say, you know, hugely important to keep that kind of element of the fun uh, element in it as well, yeah. whenever possible. Um, 2013, when Bernie died, seemed to have been a real turning point for the family as well. And um, obviously then it was public what, uh, that this was not only with Bernie, but the others in the family had and were suffering from cancer. And then it also seemed an opportunity for, for you to, to reunite as a family. And would you say that was in a way a gift from Bernie that it gave you, it, you pulled you back together to be even a stronger and tighter unit than before? Um, Colleen says that she, she knew were talking at Birdie's funeral and all of that, yeah. you know. Um, Denise took Denise a little bit longer, didn't mm. it? I think, but I don't think Bernie's death. I mean, that that's just natural. You know, other issues pale into insignificance. It's yeah. not about Bernie. It's not about what we're going through. It's about Bernie's dying. You know, yeah. and and so we were all there when we could be, and and it wasn't like, well, you know, me and Maureen will go at three o'clock to see her and then Anne and Denise can go at four o'clock you know what I mean so we don't bump into each other it was nothing like that and we did we did become friends again later on after that with Bernie so maybe without us even realizing is that she she kind of made us you know and my life is so much better with them in it you know it's when when I I look back and I think oh god we wasted all that time and and my life is so much happier and more fulfilled and better with them in it. You know, I would never want to do that again, to go through that again. And I would do my best to try, you know, now we're, we're all great friends and it's, you know. Yeah, I remember when Bernie was going through her illness, just before she died, actually, she said something to me. And I said, look, I don't want to talk about that now. You, I, do, I just want to concentrate on you and what you're going through and everything else is insignificant yeah. at the moment so you know just let's concentrate on you getting better really I mean we were at bingo and, and <laughs> so funny because we all used to go to bingo together our mother loved bingo that was her only vice wasn't it she yeah. didn't drink or smoke and we'd go to bingo together and all and then when we kind of fell out <laughs> we'd be at two different tables at bingo people would come up, oh your sister's over there as if we hadn't seen them you know we'd go all oh, right and all of that and then one time Denise was there in her own and I said to Maureen ask Denise if she wants to join us and it was like oh you know, and so kind of 
it wasn't a big sit down, was it? Unless it just no, kind of I evolved. Actually, I actually wrote a letter on behalf of me and Denise to my other sister saying, um, can we not sort this out? If not for our sake, then for our extended families. Very wise. Yeah. yeah. And there's a perspective that comes also with age as well, that you just yeah. realise what's really important, yeah, and be, look at the bigger Absolutely. picture. Absolutely, and when you then get a life-threatening illness, you think, God, I'm wasting time here with this, you know. It's, um, yeah, so it, it was what it was, and at the time it was terrible for everyone. You know, there was no winners, really, but it was... Um, it's much better now. Like I said, my life is much better. But I, I, it's obvious you can see the, the bond there. With Denise in it. And Denise. <laughs> <laughs> but Anne, you got to go on the cruise. So, <laughs> yeah, so you can, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, it was brilliant. You had, and so you had that brilliant. great experience Denise on actually, the cruise. We asked Denise to do the cruise and at the time, she just didn't want to do it. Ah. Well, she didn't. And then it coincided with her Judy Garland date. Didn't Judy keep Garland field for us. Well, but initially yeah. she said, oh, I don't know. I don't know. She She's, said, I don't want yeah. to do that now. She no. would have loved it. What a great memory. But you had your, great, yeah. your own great memories. Can I go back and then ask you about some of the moments that made you? So, and do you want to look at some, maybe a moment or more that you say really stand out and say, I am so glad that happened in my life? Uh, yeah, I have to say, the best moments for me in my life were when I gave birth to my two daughters. And the second one was when my grandchildren were born. And for me, those are the best moments in my whole life. Nothing will ever surpass any of them, professionally or personally. Yeah, I understand. That's amazing. How did that change your life? How did becoming a mother and a grandmother change your life? Well, when she nearly died becoming a mother. I nearly yeah. died, yeah. The first time when I had, I had eclampsia when my eldest daughter was born. Uh, it changed my life because it made me think of somebody else rather than myself. You know, it made me think I wanted the best for them. I wanted, to, you know, everything to be good for them. And it made me think of somebody else rather than, I put my, you know, rather than putting myself first, I was now putting somebody else first. And it was just, it's just the most amazing feeling I've ever had in my whole life. I always say to them, I always say to the girls, if I've looked after the kids or whatever, you know, and uh, I know that they all love me, you know, because I'm their naughty auntie and all of that. But I always say to the girls, but when you come in the door, you get a smile that I will never get because I didn't have children. Okay. No, no, that isn't being, no, that isn't being dramatic. No, I know, I know. But what I mean is you do, you get a smile yeah, comes in and, so. uh, you know, it's like when mum and dad were out working. Yeah. would look after us and the minute they came in I'd go oh god they're home but I do and it's true you get a smile and you know it's my only regret in life it's nobody's fault but I let work get in the way and, and thought I'll wait I wait of course and then it didn't happen um but no seriously and, and that's why it is brilliant I understand that being the most standout and you are very close to your nieces yeah. and nephews I understand as well Linda yeah they they did it on the um Nolas at home uh, and Maureen and Colleen said, you know, you don't have children, but we want you to know what your great nieces and, and your nieces and nephews think of you. And Denise's was, you know, um, you gave us a home when we had nowhere to live, Ryder said, and uh, you took us on the bus. All the money you spend on people, and you took us on the bus. And mine was, you let us have chocolate in bed at 12 o'clock at night, <laughs> and we can go to bed with a drink and and crisps, you crisps. know. And uh, you're my inappropriate... What What did Ryder say? What word did he use? Oh, I don't know. I can't remember. I've been rude. I used rude. to say to Ryder, have you seen my baby rabbit? Like this. He's only nine. <laughs> the two fingers. And of course, he went straight back to his mum and went, have you seen my... And he went, 
did Auntie Linda teach you that? I went, well, I didn't teach him. I just thought it'd be funny. Yes. So he said this on the show. Yes, you know, the naughty aunt. You haven't told us what your greatest moment is. I know what you're going to say. But I'm on. waiting to hear it. I'm waiting. I was <laughs> just going to come on. You will, so let's hear um, I think getting married to Brian. Yeah. <laughs> and meeting Brian. And meeting him, of course, yeah. And and the day that I realised that I loved him. You know, when people say, do you know? Do you know when you fall in love, whatever? But I know the day I fell in love with him when I thought I want to spend the rest of my life with him. And he was dropping us off for a girly night and going. And I thought, oh. And how old were you? You're only 21. I married him when I was 22. Yeah, I met him when I was 20. Yeah. And we were married for 26 years. And you said and the would soulmate. together if he hadn't have passed away. What yeah. a huge loss. Yeah. Oh, my God. You know, it, he spoiled me to... Um, he spoiled me... Spoiled, spoilt me in a way that when he wasn't here it was like oh, I don't know what the word is you know it kind when, of ruined her for anybody else because it never be anybody else <laughs> hard to live up to him you know what I mean so yeah, yeah. so that was a great he, love oh it was the love of my life you know some people don't have that they meet someone they're married and they have a great life but I had the love of my life I found my soulmate and a lot of people don't have that and I appreciate that and I think that's why it was so so hard and so difficult you know I mean I wrote the girls a letter when I was suicidal and my brothers put all their names and the first thing they put was I know you will understand because nobody expected me to be here this long without Brian you know of course they didn't they wouldn't understand and I got help and all of that but yeah it was it was that bad and I think if I had to choose one outstanding moment in our professional lives I would say when we toured with Frank Sinatra. I was going to say that, yeah, yeah the Sinatra tour, yeah. In 1975. What was that like? That was an extraordinary opportunity. What, what was that like? Yeah. I was 15, Bernie was only 13. It was amazing, absolutely amazing. Because we're Sinatra mad, because our dad was Ireland's Frank Sinatra in his day. And um, he brought us up on all that kind of music, you know. So we knew everything about him, where he was born. And we loved him as well, though, didn't we? And did you get to know him during the tour? Did you get to spend time with him? Yeah. Oh, well, we didn't, we didn't socialize. He flew in from Geneva every night, yeah. you know, but we used to stand, the first day we met him, didn't we? We were walking Paris. down the corridor and we could hear his voice and it was like, oh my God. And we had a picture and he called us his daughters in the worst Irish accent you've ever heard. <laughs> and um, and then every night, if if we didn't, we'd see him walking by and sometimes he'd say hi or he'd send a message to say, you know, Frank was listening to you tonight, so you thought you did really well. And we were... Um, and he used to allow us to, because obviously oh, yeah. day, all the places were absolutely packed. So he would let us sit on the steps in between the aisles um, and watch the show watch every the night. Show, yeah. you know? I mean, he'd always wave to us from the stage. Yeah. So, and he came over and um, the Albert Hall, he was rehearsing and we were watching him and he was singing a song called But Beautiful. And he came over to us and went, you girls won't know this song. And we sang the next chorus. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm bringing our dad backstage then to say, Mr. Sinatra. This is our dad, you know, it was, it was amazing. And at the end, he, he gave us all a little key fob, a little gold fob that said, love and peace, Frank Sinatra. How precious. And, uh, and I, we, we we didn't know what to get him, did we? We wanted no. to get him something at the end of the tour. He had an, an American comedian that still came on the tour, but that's why we were there, because he couldn't do the European dates because of the language barrier. So we bought this beautiful Dutch doll, didn't we? I mean, she was gorgeous, because he'd just become a granddad to uh, AJ. And he, he came out of the... Um, we gave it to the American comedian. He said, I'll make sure I'll give it to Frank myself. And he came out of the dressing room in uh, the last one. We were in Brussels or something at the Opera House. And he came out with Elizabeth Taylor. And he pushed through this guard and all of that and came over to us and said, <laughs> and came over to us and said, um, uh, thank you so much for the doll. I'm going to take it in my luggage and give it to AJ from you all. 
And it was like, oh my God, he's real. Yeah. What yeah. a great memory. Yeah, it was amazing. I have one other question to ask you and to ask you each is what's your favourite song from your repertoire? And do you want to say what's your favourite song? Gosh. Oh, all the ones that we sing the lead on. <laughs> I'll always, always have a love for I'm in a movie yeah. dancing because it's what really made us as far as recording went. Um, but as regards what I think we did, what was our best thing we ever did, we did a Barbara Streisand medley, you know, a medley of all her songs. And I think that's been my favourite because it was, I just thought it was so good vocal. It was live. And, and we it did it live on TV. Yeah. And it was just really good, yeah. Um, I Again, in the mood for dancing, I still get a buzz, you know, when it's played. And I think, oh, my God, it's just amazing. And that will always be there, like Anne said. I loved um, when we worked with, like, uh, did, uh, worked with a piano player that worked for us, was our MD for a while, Robin Smith. We did chemistry. I loved that mm -hmm. with him. Yeah, he was a great writer. And also, Who's Gonna Rock, which um, Ken Gold and Billy Ocean Wrote. Yeah, and I loved a song that the girls did without me. Actually, they actually won the Tokyo Music Festival with oh, it yeah. called "Sexy Music." They all hate it, and I really love it. It's just funny when you're singing yourself, "Sexy Music," yeah, and it's so funny. Yeah. I watch the video now, and I go, "Look at us pretending we're sexy." We didn't smile at all. We're all like this. <laughs> oh, so serious. I love some so of the other stuff we did yeah. as well because that really showed our harmonies off, you know, and that we could actually sing, whether you liked us or not. You can't really deny that we could sing, you know. And yeah. that's, we, you know we that's what good. stands out, actually. Yeah. Even again, from going back to where we started with the cruise and I was listening to one of the audios and your harmonies were just so good. And I hadn't realised that you had that natural singing ability because uh, it's, uh, that it's just lovely to hear. It's it. funny, you know, just, we've all been singers and, and the kids, some of them can oh, sing yeah. really well, you know. And it was never, I'm going to be a drummer, I'm going to be a piano player. For me, it was always, I'm going to be a singer. You know, the careers teacher comes along and says, so what have you planned? And I go, I'm going to be a singer. She'd go, yeah, but what have you planned for a career? <laughs> but even when we sing Happy Birthday, it's like in full part harmony. Oh, <laughs> yes. Marvellous. Marvellous. So marvellous. Wonderful, <laughs> yeah, wonderful, wonderful. Ladies, listen, I loved interviewing you. Thank you so much for all oh, your time. Thank you. I will Made go back easy. now and listen to I'm in the Mood for Dancing and do another little <laughs> jig around the place <laughs> because you definitely put me in the mood. And thank Brilliant. you. And I wish you health and continued success. Thank you. Thank, Thank you so much. This podcast was recorded and edited by JJ Vernon. My thanks to Anne and Linda Nolan for joining us. And thank you for listening.